Welcome back to Poldark Podcast. We are a podcast created by Poldark fangirls about the show and book series we love so dearly. Thank you for joining us. In this week's episode, we will be continuing our season one rewatch with a discussion of episode 106. And of course, we still have our book club going strong. This week, we will be finishing up The Black Moon. And that is a lot to pack in, so let's get into it. My name is Delenda. I live in France. I blog at British Liso on Tumblr and I tweet at Delenda Dia. My name is Rita, I live in the UK, I blog at Princess of Polduck on Tumblr, and I tweet at Rita Bites. And I am Michelle, I live in the States, I blog at Poldark Muses, Poldark M-M-M-U-S-E-S on Tumblr, and I tweet at Musings. So let's get into the discussion of episode 6. So the episode opens in Bombman Jail, we find Jim Carter, who, let's remind, has been condemned for to two years of imprisonment. Things are not looking good and some prisoners are sick and it might turn into an epidemic. Just maybe. The sequence is cut to daylight with an atmosphere not any less sombre. Ginny has been counting the days since Jim is gone and is even more heartbreaking seeing her holding her child who's growing up without a father. She joins Demelza who is hanging washing on the line while holding Julia Demelza reassures her that Jim will be home soon and that no matter how different he might look, he has come this far and that's what matters. Uh, We now cut to Francis skiving. Uh, Let's just say it. It's not as epic as Ross skiving is, but he's trying. Um, Speaking of Ross, uh, Francis receives a courtesy visit from him as Elizabeth, apparently picking some herbs, joins them. Ross lets him know he can count on him if he needs any help and they briefly talk about George and the people he seeks to ruin. Francis tells Ross he can't bring justice to everyone. Elizabeth remains silent, but her face says everything. Francis gets angry at his blisters because why not? And Elizabeth asks Verity (laughs) to talk some sense into him because as his wife, that's not her place to do so. Hashtag logic. Ross is headed to Truro for the auction and looks nervous. All the mines are sold to the Conroe Copper Company, which is intriguing to a gentleman who decides to intervene. He has never heard of the Conroe Copper Company, and he demands the proof of its good faith and the identity of its agent, which Zachary Martin claims to be, bless him. The unknown gentleman, who turns out to be an agent for the Wallagans, of course, wants the names of the owners, as if he was going to get them, you know. Whatever. He is cut short and the auction may resume. At the Daniels' home, Mark is entertaining himself with a bird as his wife Karen joins him. She basically tells him to get off his chair and go to work. He says he, <laughs> he says he's glad she picked him, an uneducated man over some high literate, handsome, and smart dude. Enters Dwight Ennis on his horse. <laughs> Subtle. I know, real subtle. <laughs> Karen is looking at him like a girl looking at her crush in school. She turns her head and notices a scale, and everybody's wondering, what is she up to now? Back to the auction. The Wallogan agent threats Saki, telling him he won't have his way next time. The men are talking about the riots happening in Toro and Viva hitting Bobman Jail, which Saki and Ross pick up on. Mark Daniel is headed to work to please his wife. He kisses her goodbye, which she so kindly responds to. She's looking at the ladder again and climbs it. A young girl sees her from afar. Cut to Dwight, tending to some tenants. The young girl is running to alert him on what happened. Uh, side note, real quick. Uh, y'all call it a scale. We call it a ladder. Oh, <laughs> okay. 
I love this. This is awesome. Hashtag French girl. <laughs> oh, let's see. Okay, so Ross leaves the auction meeting and is approached by Ruth Teague. Seriously, girl, get over him. Um, and she is asking Ross if he's aware of the rumors about Verity. Sometimes silence is the best answer. Speaking of Verity, Demelza receives her visit at Nampara. The Warleggans are giving a ball, and they're all invited. Verity tells Demelza this is the perfect opportunity to mark her way into society. Demelza gets nervous about looking perfect, but thankfully she can always count on Verity to help her. That will be later, though, because she is expected in town. <clears throat> uh, by who, we wonder? Um, Demelza and Verity exchange some very cute looks between the two of them. Um, but uh, Demelza warns her uh, that Verity must tell Frances before things go too far. And, and Verity assures her, or reassures her, that she will. I wouldn't be so sure of that when you have Francis as a brother. Cut to Ross riding alongside Zaki. They happen to pass by the Willegans' house. More conniving is happening inside. We know the drill. Carrie suggests they find out the names of the shareholders of Carnmore. I wonder how. Remember that scale slash ladder Karen was contemplating? That's what she needed to see Dwight again. He's tending to her and she compliments him on his kindness. He looks smitten and leaves abruptly because he knows it's wrong. Playing with fire much? Then we cut to a storm because that'll happen if these two don't keep it together. Verity and Andrew are walking out in the open and talk about Lisbon, ships, and basically contemplating their future together. That is, of course, if Verity talks to Francis. Andrew offers to do so, but Verity says she must do it herself. Andrew suggests it should be soon. <sighs> We're in for round number two. Ross arrives home and finds his wife here playing the piano. He surprises her and asks how his fair maiden is. Demaza playfully asks if he refers to the one invited to the Whirligan Bowl, a full-on make-out session in shows. And so is cut short by Ginny because supper is ready and it's just not awkward at all. Ross asks if she has heard from Jim, which she has not, because but he was supposedly well. Ross is still worried and we can all tell something is wrong. At Trenwith, a very drunk Francis is complaining about everything that is wrong in his life. How can he attend a ball when his wife doesn't have a new dress to sport? You know, so he can show off to the world, claiming to have the most beautiful trophy wife. He also talks about how he does like Demelza, even though her upbringing does not do their family any credit. He alludes to the fact that he, that he is glad he ruined Verity's chance at happiness. I'm grateful it's the only unsuitable match we're forced to endure. Back to Nampara. Ross and Demelza are lying in bed. She notices his concern. He is indeed concerned about the mine and the smelting company, and more importantly, Jim. He also brings up the rumors about Verity seeing Blamey again and asks if Demelza knows anything about it. She basically tells him that it's none of his business. <laughs> uh, Ross is still concerned about how Verity managed to contact him again, all by herself. Um, uh, cut to daytime. Demelza is adorably practicing her steps for the ball. Ross encourages her as he will claim first dance. Ah, Ross the husband. Trademark. A rare appearance. I know. It's very <laughs> sweet when it does show up. Ross arrives at Wheel Leisure, and Zaki confirms the rumors. There is indeed a fever striking Bodman. 
Ross tells him to keep Ginny in the dark about the whole thing and rides off to pay Dwight a visit. Is he thinking what we think he is? He is. Of course. <laughs> Ross and Dwight ride together and talk about how Ross has known Jim since he was a kid. What was that, like two weeks ago? <laughs> he would not wish for the fever to strike his worst enemy. Not even George Ross? You might rethink that later. Demelza is wandering around with Julia and finds Karen knocking on Dwight's door. Demelza asks if she feels better and tells her Dr. Ennis is away with her husband until the next day. She kindly warns her about how people love to gossip and that she should keep her distance from Dwight. Karen rudely ignores her advice and Demelza, being the kind-hearted person she is, apologises for minding what is not her business. Ross and Dwight have arrived in Bodmin Jail. Dwight seeks reassurance and asks Ross if he has a plan. Ross being Ross says he doesn't. Typical Ross. He asks the janitor to let them in. They find an unrecognizable Jim who looks like he's about to die. Sickness has taken over his whole body. Ralph transitions to Verity and Elizabeth at Trenwith. Verity has found something to occupy herself. Adjusting one of Elizabeth's dresses so that she can wear it to the ball and pass as new. Verity apologizes to her for Francis' misconduct. Elizabeth says she's not the only one he failed and that it's important to lower one's expectations and just, girl, stop lamenting. No one forced you to marry the men when he gave you the chance to back out. <sighs> back to Budmin. Ross and Dwight have managed to get Jim out of his cell to tend to him. His arm has been consumed by gangrene. He might survive the fever, but his arm must be cut off and that he won't survive. Ross begs Dwight to try his best and so he does. But their faces tells it, tell it all. Jim will not survive this. Which is even more heart-wrenching as he manages to speak some words. It's alright, Jenny. I'm coming home. I'm coming home. I'm coming home. Cut to another heartbreaking sequence of Demelza and Ginny holding their babies, smiling and waiting for their husbands to come home. We then find Ross on the beach as dramatic music is playing. He is burning the shirt he was wearing in prison to avoid the spread of disease, and his face says it all. Ginny's parents tell her the devastating news that she is now a widow, and she bursts into tears. Cut to Jim's grave. Ross tells Demelza they buried him by the sea. Ross is angry at the magistrates responsible for putting him in jail and eventually causing his death. Clearly, he's not in the mood to go to the ball and see their faces. Demelza is worried about the consequences his illegal visit will have, and Ross basically could care less. Demelza receives a pretty large package, uh, and it is discovered that it's from Ross, who initially ordered it from the dressmakers for the ball uh, when he went to Bodmin. Could I see it? If you have the interest. will do for some time in the future. Demelza is touched by the gesture as she opens the box and finds a beautiful gold satin dress and sweet music plays in the background. Dwight, who is also back, is clearly distraught about what he saw and experienced. This is, of course, the moment Karen chooses to pay him a visit because she, quote, 
needs something for her pain. <laughs> Dwight will not have it and asks her to wait outside. Like a good boy. Well done. Cut to a heart-wrenching sight. The wall on which Ginny has been counting down the days until Jim would be home from jail. Verity pays Ross and Amelza a visit. She heard about the tragic news, but Ross will not hear of it again. He is drinking to the death and is clearly not in his normal state. Verity tells him to pull himself together because he is a gentleman. He has a family to consider. She reminds him his move was unlawful, duh, and suggests him attending the ball among the people responsible for Jim's death will make them think twice before attacking him. Russ is disgusted by Verity's arguments. So is she. Justice is a fine thing, is it not? Cut to the Rolagans house where the ball is to take place, and we all know that dramatic things happen at balls, especially in period dramas. <laughs> one one note, one side note, one of the, the things that I noticed was it is in this scene that we have modern instruments mm. really taking really taking a uh, center stage uh, in the soundtrack for this. You know, we've got a very clear uh, electric bass mm -hmm. uh, happening. It's it's very interesting uh, the 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 way that we've shifted from more traditional orchestral music to more modern uh, for this sequence. Anyway, that's just me being a geek. I'm just being a geek. No, Sorry, it's really interesting. <laughs> okay, <clears throat> okay. So the sequence opens with a dazzling chandelier, reminding us that George's pockets are full as polished women and men dance and enjoy their time. Verity and Demelza have arrived, both looking gorgeous. Ross, who tries to acquaint himself with as much brandy as George can offer, serves as their, quote, cavalier. Demelza regrets them coming. Ross has been drinking since his return from Budman. Knowing Ross's history at social gathering, we all know this night is up to no good. Demelza is surprised when she receives another gift from Ross. He's spoiling his wifey, ain't he? Demelza opens the box and finds a gorgeous and expensive-looking necklace. She feels bad wearing it, though, with everything that's happened with Jim and Ginny. There she tells her that it's not her fault and that she should not feel guilty at all. As George approaches Elizabeth, Ross, and Francis, the two Poldark cousins pull on a not-now-bitch and desert poor Lizzie to deal with him on her own. Is there a war on? <laughs> the Poldark cousins seem hell-bent on battle. I cannot speak for Ross, but Francis is most definitely at odds with all the world. <laughs> Verity puts the necklace on Demelza, and she looks absolutely ravishing and ready to rule the night. Uh, Verity promises she'll not leave Demelza. They both need to look after Ross. That is, until Verity spots Andrew Blaney making an entrance at the ball, and that does not go unnoticed. Uh, she is forced to leave Demelza on her own to talk some sense into the, the knucklehead. And, uh, you know, when she'd asked him to have a little patience, clearly, he doesn't know the meaning of the word. Demelza, uh, as uncertain as she is, um, and the majestic woman she has become, braces herself and faces society. Uh, familiar music is playing as she goes down the stairs. The poor, the, earthenware to porcelain uh, track from the soundtrack uh, and uh, the men are smitten women in are intrigued 
as she looks ravishing and relaxed. That is until she sees Dwight and looks relieved. He still looks distraught by the recent events, and he introduces her to Sir Hubert Drogon, clearly charmed by Demelza, who curtsies without looking like she has been practicing the gesture for ages to master it. Started from the bottom, now we're here. Verity has managed to catch Andrew to discourage him from doing something that will ruin them. I don't know, you were like walking down the street with them the other day, Verity, like Christ. <laughs> oh, Lord. I got a point and you know it. Yeah, George like that was going to go unnoticed, you know? Right? Yeah. Just strolling in the middle of the port like, ooh, <laughs> such a secret. George and his cousin Matthew approach Ross, still drinking to the bone to challenge him on a game duel. Ross politely declines, stating he's only here to escort his wife, who is apparently in good company surrounded by lots of men, which does not alarm Ross, who eventually accepts George's invitation when he sees Reverend House. What would be a society ball without gossips? Elizabeth overhears Ruth Trinoglos gossiping about Francis being left by a prostitute, <laughs> as you do, and how he can't even afford a new dress for his wife. We kind of feel for Elizabeth because, ouch. Ruth also refers to Demelza as a hussy and that Ross must regret he married her. We thought she would get over the guy, but <laughs> the girl just can't. She seethes. Anywho, Sir Hubert Dragon escorts Demelza to dance, his hand low on her back. Ew. Verity urges Andrew to leave. He says he will not be ashamed of their love. Who said she was, Andrew? But knowing how well your last encounter with your potential brother-in-law went, it might not be a good idea to be seen with her sister. Has he not grown up? Might he not have mellowed? Let him once catch sight of you and you will see how much he's mellowed. Still rocking the dance floor, Demelza is subject to lots of glances in the attendants, including Elizabeth's mother, who is dazzled by her beauty and wonders who she is. Elizabeth reminds her. That's Demelza, Mama. Ross's wife? The scullery maid. I see no scullery maid, Mama. Cut to George's entertainment room, or game room. Ross and Francis are joined by Reverend House. Ross suggests he waits for another table, and when he refuses, he drinks another glass of brandy, you know, to keep his sanity intact. Back at the dance, Elizabeth is pushed by her mama to dance. Will people say, a first outing in months and to be so neglected by Francis? George, who just happens to be around, invites her to dance and compliments her mama. Wicked shame to have thrown her away on a pole dark. Back to the entertainment room, some card games are taking place, and it soon turns into a verbal confrontation between Ross and Reverend Hulse. Ross confronts Reverend Hulse about the dire conditions in prison. Hulse informs him his latest adventures have not gone unnoticed, and he shall not go free. And he also calls him an offensive young drunkard. Ouch. I mean... Accurate. Yeah, very accurate, but, you know, still. Uh, back to the dance, George entertains Elizabeth and encourages to go out more, you know, so he can woo her. Uh, she is not that stupid, though, and she awkwardly walks away from him. Francis, who needed to go out of the game room to cry and feel better, stumbles across Verity. Uh-oh. Are we in for round two? 
Andrew tries to talk to Francis, who will not listen to what he has to say. He orders him to step aside. Your sister is not to be commanded, nor am I. Francis tries to hit him as an inducement, but he is definitely no match for Blamey, which is so weird. <laughs> he pushes him and leaves a stunned Verity. Francis forbids her to see him again. That went so well the last time. The products are officially the entertainment providers at social gatherings. Demelza notices Verity's distress and excuses herself to Bedrogan and Trinaglos, who demand a second dance. She isn't having it and joins Verity. Because sisters have to stick together. That is before Elizabeth, her mother, and Ruth stop her. They have been admiring her dress because that's all they've got to do. Ruth asks about her father, hoping she will get embarrassed. And how is your father, dear? We've not seen him since the christening. No, ma'am, I'm sorry. Father is over-particular who he meets. Messing with the wrong girl, honey. Demelza comforts a crying Verity. She regrets not telling Francis earlier about Andrew, and she has lost hope in being with him because he left without a backward guard. One might think he didn't want to make the whole thing even more dramatic, but whatever. Back to the entertainment room, Elizabeth enters and finds Francis drinking, and Margaret next to him. She gives the poor dog the reading of her life. I hope you're as well entertained as your wife. Or had you forgot your existence? Dangerous mistake. Absentee husbands make for wandering wives. If you wish to retain our favor, you'd do well to pay us attention. Ross picks up on what Elizabeth has just said and checks if Demelza needs anything. A little too late for that, dude. Ross observes with disgust his, air quote, people, and claims to be ashamed of them, overdressed, overpainted, overstuffed, they're all to blame for Jim's death, for their ignorance. Demelza gets angry at him for letting her deal with people on her first outing in society. And you'll not right any wrongs by drinking and gaming and leaving me to fend for myself at my very first ball. If you behave like this, you'll not come to another. If you behave like this, I'll not want to. Uh, what follows is one of the most tension-filled moments in the series. Back to the entertainment room, Ross is willing to stake whatever he can to defeat Matthew in cards. After losing his father's watch, Demelza's 100-pound necklace, before losing his stakes in wheel leisure, he shows us that he's not as stupid or drunk as he can be sometimes, because Matthew has been cheating since the beginning. Will you permit us? I'm sorry for assaulting your friend, George, but if you insist on entertaining such fellows, you should at least keep them on a leash. Or perhaps you prefer your guests to be ruined in silence. Cut to the morning. Ross tells Demelza he purposefully lost the card game to make sure Matthew was deceiving. Mm. She is given a letter from who knows who. Elizabeth tells Ross that his actions in Bodmin have been much discussed. Francis tells Ross that Matthew Sanson is not just a friend of George's, he is his cousin and he may feel obliged to respond if his actions from the previous night led to some repercussions. Ross and Demelza arrive home in Ampara. Mark Daniel has been there for some time. Demelza tells Ross about the rumours surrounding Karen and Dwight. 
He picks up on that and supposes she knows more about Verity and Blamey than she is willing to tell. She claims to know as much as he does. Cut to Demelza opening that mysterious letter. It is from Andrew Blamey. Since you brought Verity and me together, I must turn to you for further help. Francis is impossible. There can never be a reconciliation. Therefore, Verity must choose between us. Hashtag drama. Drama! Mark... <laughs> Mark addresses the rumors about Karen flinging herself to some other men. Ross tells him to have faith, otherwise there's no hope of marriage. Keep his words in mind, Ross. Karen knocks on Dwight's door to, to offer her help in his work. He doesn't get to refuse as she enters his cottage. This cannot end well, can it? Trenwith House. Aunt Agatha is back with her dire predictions as Francis pours himself a glass of wine. And what follows is one of the best lines ever delivered in this series. What is the matter with the women of this family? The men. You think you could do better? If looks could kill? At Cardview, more conniving is taking place as George and Carrie study Ross's weaknesses to try and find out the names of the shareholders in the Carnmore Copper Company so they can ruin them and, as a consequence, ruin Ross. The time has come to bid farewell to Jim Carter. Seeing Janie holding their crying baby, Ross blames himself for not saving Jim. Everybody places flowers on Jim's grave, and as everyone's leaving, Ross notices Dwight and Karen steal a glance at each other. Demelza asks Ross if anything will come to what he did. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. What matters is that Ross is sober for the first time in five days. Demelza lays her flowers on Jim's grave. And we end episode six. I love this episode. <laughs> so depressing. <laughs> What's wrong with you? <laughs> I, know, I don't know. I just loved your depressing episodes. What were your favorite scenes? Um, I love, you know, Ross sneaking in like a tomcat. <laughs> I just love that scene so much. Uh, you know, it shows the playfulness and the passion that the two of them um, have and they continue to have for one another. I thought that was just wonderful. Yeah, that was my favorite too. But I also love the scene um, towards the end, well, with Francis and the women of Trenwith. <laughs> when he asked them oh, what yeah. the problem of the women of his family is and... Uh, yeah, the glances that he gets, it looks oh good kill. I got so many people to watch the show by showing him the gift set. I was like, this is it. This is the show. <laughs> <laughs> like, I really loved the scene with Demelza practicing her dancing in the field. Mm. With like Julia and Garrick sitting on the blanket watching on and then Ross rides on on a horse. Yeah. Feels so cute. Was Ross right in attempting to get Jim out of custody? Why did he go to such lengths, including roping his buddy Dwight into the plan when he didn't have any? Controversial opinion, but no, I don't <laughs> think he was right. Like, he had already gone out of his way to try and save Jim in the past, and he'd already gotten him a reduced sentence. Um, He's not the most powerful person on the planet. He's not God. He can't save everyone. And he has been a faithful and good friend to Jim. Like, breaking into the jail was noble for sure, but could easily have had dire consequences. Either, like, he would have got infected himself, or mm -hmm. Dwight, or even Ross's family, because, you know, the whole yeah. breaking into a jail thing also could have easily got him hung. Yep. 
it's just a foolish and reckless thing to do when he has like a really young family he has responsibilities and ultimately it was useless anyway yeah yeah i i agree it was a, a noble gesture and i think it was one deeply seated in guilt uh remember when he first heard the news of jim's poaching and his capture he told Emelza that he should have made Jim the offer of assistant purser sooner. Um, you know, but I, I honestly think the man still isn't used to having any responsibilities beyond his own damn self half the time. Yeah, and I think that's actually kind of um, ironic because he says that he's uh, ashamed of being like related to the gentry folks, but then he thinks that uh, with this status he can get what he wants. And uh, so yeah. I think that's, uh, that's why I think he was wrong in uh, attempting yeah. to rescue Jim because uh, it was obvious that it would not end well because uh, he either would have died anyway or um, he could have like, he could have caught the disease and uh, contaminated his family and uh, the whole mm -hmm. uh, the whole um, the tenants so it was up to no good so what are the parallels between Ross's reaction to Demelza as it relates to Jim's imprisonment in episode uh Series 103 and Jim's death in series 106. You mean besides the fact that he gets angry and then drinks away his problems? His hey, go-to method to dealing with situations. Hey, at least he's consistent. He is. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, but seriously, I find, it in, I find it fascinating the parallels between these two moments and Ross and Demelza's relationship. You know, the first time he's drunk, angry at himself and members of his class Demelza is dressed in blue satin. You know, this time he's drunk. He's outwardly angry at members of his class and inwardly feeling more guilt, I imagine. And Demelza's in gold satin. It's 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 interesting how they they've they've kind of done this odd mirror um, between the the two. Now that we've seen season two, was there anything in the rewatch that struck you differently than it did the first time around? Uh, the scene where Ross rides up on Francis while he's skiving in front of Trenwith. Uh, Francis has tears in his eyes during most of the time he's speaking with Ross. That was one thing that I noticed uh, in this rewatch. Um, and then Francis watching Elizabeth as her eyes follow Ross when uh, he rides off. Francis picks up the skies and proceeds to, to injure himself the, the blisters. I think his exclamation seems to be far more angry than the situation calls for. You know, and perhaps it's another reminder of his failures. I noticed this too. Um, and Elizabeth seemed so blatant in this scene. Like mm -hmm. her little heart eyes were intense. Yeah. Um, I think the other uh, thing that I noticed was the scene after George and Elizabeth dance. Uh, George is much more forward in his attentions than he intends. And, you know, you can see him recalibrating uh, kind of how he needs to uh, approach her going forward uh, for future reference because you know George is one of those people that never ever wants to put a hair out of place um totally unimportant detail but why did Russ and Demelza switch sides of the bed between season one and season two Ugh. it's so noticeable and weird like <laughs> every time I see it I'm like why why I know. Uh, nobody does that I in know. real life I know, I know. You know, in almost 20 years of marriage, the only time I wound up on the opposite side of the bed was when my husband broke his left ankle and had to keep it elevated with six weeks of wrongness, just let me tell you. <laughs> um, 
And, you know, I, I haven't had a chance to, to go back through and kind of count all of the, the instances uh, between uh, season one and two. Uh, she did start out on the left side after their first night together. And then she's on the right after their post-bread-making romp. And then she's on the right in this episode. But then she shifts over to the left again. It, it just... And then you add to the fact that they kept like flipping and reusing shots in season two. Yeah, <laughs> we should just send yeah. a list of questions of our admin moth. It's like here. Uh, we've it got would just some be notes. like a giant Y exclamation <laughs> point. Y. Yes, and then you know we have some notes for your continuity department to keep in mind for future future reference. You know, just give them a laundry list of of things that we've noticed. Like you need to pay attention because we're paying attention. Um, on a related note, thought, we see a distraught Francis out in a hallway immediately following the tete-a-tete between George and Elizabeth. Do we think he'd overheard their conversation and that's what upset him, or was it more related to his ongoing guilt about his general failures, or both? First off, can I just say how much I effing love Kyle Soler? <laughs> yeah. Oh my lord, he is so good. <laughs> Um, anyhow, I, I think it was both. I mean, you know, not only does he have to deal with his wife's lingering affections towards his cousin, the paragon of manhood and leader of men, uh, but now he's got George panting after her as well. You know, both of those men are successful, you know, on differing scales, of course, but even Ross is much better off than Francis is at that point. Um, and then he runs into Verity with Blaney, who represents another moment of failure for him. You know, the fact that Blamey almost killed him and all he did to the man was wing him in the hand. Verity thwarting his and his late father's authority once again with this murdering bastard. You know, sweet Lord, it's no surprise that he does what he does in the next episode. It really isn't. Guys, what do you think? I'm like totally team Francis. <laughs> Everything. I feel so bad for him at all times. Like you can see that this man is unraveling and yeah. having everybody's it's really bizarre watching everybody have this like non reaction to it and they're just mm -hmm. like Oh, he's crying, who cares? <laughs> like that's just Francis being Francis. And I'm like, No, everybody, like, this is a man in despair. Exactly. <laughs> and it and it's a despair that continues to to just go downhill until we get to that episode at first episode of season one where he tries to frickin' kill himself. You know, it's just it it is he's so good. He's so good. I just want to rewatch all of the Kyle scenes, like mm -hmm. just the just the Francis Poldark show. Yeah. It and it's so sad there. because when you first meet him in the very first episode of the series, you you think, okay, well, he has everything to be happy and everything's gonna go uh, mm -hmm. so well for him. And then he's um son of a mm, father. He uh he had such high <laughs> expectations for him, you know, and he mm -hmm. kept comparing him to Ross. And of course, so uh, when he died, he had a uh, so much pressure on his shoulders, and so he thinks that he can uh, he cannot achieve anything, and uh, it's gonna get even more much worse when uh, Ross is gonna succeed in his mining venture, and uh, he's gonna ruin everything. So it's so sad. It's almost like um, Ross coming back just completely destroyed Francis's life. Oh, absolutely. Hmm. I mean, every, you know, it's like everything, and I think um, we've got a question. Uh, that came in from our, our uh, comments in a little bit where I know I had some thoughts around that, that same topic. So um, I think we'll, we'll get back to that. 
Okay, so it's time for the Karen feels moment. Um, I know Woo! that I know that Rita has some feels about uh, Ms. Karen, and we talked a little bit about this last week. But this may be a point where we delve into the differences with how she's portrayed in the book versus the show in a bit more detail. Uh, what could have been done to show her as a more multidimensional character? I just ultimately feel the writing for her character is incredibly shallow. There is no inkling to how she's adjusting to her new marriage. You get one scene with mm -hmm. Mark like feeding a bird and her being like, Bitch! You need to be more ambitious. <laughs> Reading isn't hard. Like she just comes across as really like ungrateful and rude, which mm -hmm. is not really how I interpret the scene. But like that's the way it's framed. Mm -hmm. Um, and she just becomes some mad seductress. She just switches like that. One mm -hmm. minute she's like bitching at Mark. The next minute she's like, okay. I've set my sights on Dwight now. I've seen him riding across the field. And it's, she's like borderline psychopath. Levels. <laughs> like She throws herself off a ladder to get attention. It's not normal. Um, and I honestly feel like she was written this way to make uh, Mark Daniel's actions and then Ross's support of him more palatable in the next episode mm. and i'm like rolling my eyes about that yeah 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 i spent some time rereading the section where she falls from the ladder and uh in the the original text it sounds much more like it was an accident rather than intentional she's gone up there because the the thatch on the roof needed uh adjusting because rain was dripping into the cottage it, the the there's enough in the narrative to to show her uh being discontent in being mark's wife but it's not as if she was plotting outright to get dwight's attention uh i think that starts once she injures her arm and he comes to treat her um and that's yeah. where you know the 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 wheels start turning uh i you know i see this as a, a lost opportunity to add dimension to karen's character uh, you know, something we know has happened elsewhere within the story for expediency. Dylan, don't you have any opinion? Um, I know you didn't read the book, yeah. but does she come across as completely bitchy and shallow? She does come as completely bitchy and shallow, but um, I think maybe if they had introduced, um, maybe not a family member, but if we had a much uh, a much bigger insight into uh, who she is and uh, maybe that she felt lonely, I don't know. But uh, yeah, the way that she portrayed her, it was more like a uh, selfish, uh, you know, and um, insensitive uh, person. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, I don't really like her. And so since Rita has been an advocate of uh, Karen, I haven't really like uh, dared to just uh, express my uh, my views and not liking her. But um, mm -hmm. yeah, maybe she had a rough childhood. Who knows? She she did like oh, in the books. Oh. She was an orphan. There you go. Um, mm -hmm. and I think um, my disappointment with the character is um, in part because I think that she's just written as a stereotype that we see too much in media. It's like the the bitchy slutty girl, and she's like going after a man even though she's married for and for seemingly no reason mm -hmm. at least with um winston's novels you get the impression that she's just 
completely desperate and lonely mm-hmm. and she makes a connection with this man and she does something foolish and dangerous um rather than just because she's like a psychopath that <laughs> like she needs attention right and there's a hot guy so she'll cheat on her husband yeah um yeah i mean it, it really does the, the way that that she is characterized in the book is you know she it sounds like she was wanting to get away from the lifestyle that she was was having with this acting troupe you know saw mark and his offer as an escape but once yeah. she winds up in that situation married to a minor uh you know the the realities of that uh, are brought to her attention clearly and it's not all that was it was cracked up to be it wasn't what she was expecting and so yeah. you know she she winds up finding herself um, idle a lot of the time. Uh, the, 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 I will say the fact that she really doesn't have a, a liking for the women, uh, in the village, uh, who are around her and shows, uh, much more, um, willingness to befriend the men, which of course is not going to wind up helping her make friends with the other women in the, the village. That, that doesn't help her, but she is not running around flinging herself at all of the men of the other village um, of the village the language that they were acting like she was throwing herself at everybody's husband was basically mm-hmm. what the rumors were and it's like she's flirting with one guy yeah exactly <laughs> crazy exactly so it's it's it they really lost an uh, 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 an opportunity to to make Karen's character uh, much more uh, involved in rather than her just being this 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 person that you know when when what happens to her in the next episode happens you know we we don't really have a, a sympathy around it. So do so, you think that because of the time restrictions they maybe should not have introduced her in the adaptation? I think it's kind of impossible to avoid the story. Yes, yes. Like, uh, it plays a huge yeah. The next episode's really important. Mm. Yeah. Um. I would um, just prefer, like, if they're going to spend time on the on her character, like, do it properly. Yeah, you know, spend like. spend a little time maybe with her talking about, you know, the you know how she wants to um, how she wants to you know leave acting, how she wants to to live a different life, uh, that kind of thing. Instead of you know showing her and Mark, you know, sitting together and her saying you know, build me a house or I'm um, out of here. You know, the, the, the conversation that happens between Karen and Mark in uh, the previous episode uh, that kind of shows the, the two of them uh, coming together is really stilted and a, a lost opportunity where they show her as being fairly, you know, do what I want or I'm leaving. And instead of talking a little bit more about why she wants to yeah, have a different exactly. life. Yeah. So anyway, we can spend a lot more time on, on talking about will this next parent. week. Cause I have more opinions about. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we will. So the, the Karen conversation will continue next week. Okay. So, um, was Demelza correct in keeping her involvement in Verity Blaney's matchmaking scheme? Probably not. Uh, but in fairness to Demelza, when Ross directly asked her if she knows something about it, she was straightforward about not wanting to break Verity's confidence. Mm. 
that yeah, he I think didn't you know, Ross. Know. Yeah, I think Ross stuck his fingers in his ears and kind of went la 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 la. You know, <laughs> and any <laughs> any other um, asks around the the issue were really done in kind of the the passive aggressive way we know you know happens in in Poldark Land uh, between people. You know, there, there's never <laughs> this direct what do you know or anything like that. It's always this side eye. <laughs> Is there anything else you want to you, you want to say? You know that kind of thing, which makes me crazy. Just talk to each other, bitches. <laughs> exactly. But you know, nobody talks in Cornwall. I swear, I'm going to trademark that that phrase because that's going to come up time and time again as we get further into the show and further into the books. No one talks in Cornwall. Okay, so um, let's get into messages. We got loads of messages. Yeah, we did. And thank you very much for for all the messages. Um, The first one is from Lady Mad Chan. Uh, In the first few episodes of series one, we see how troubled Francis and Elizabeth's marriage was. Francis was clearly stressed out by his relationship with his father and feelings of inadequacy in comparison to Ross. Do you think Elizabeth and her feelings for Ross played a big role in the initial failure of the marriage or do you think the marriage was already doomed by the other factors? Love listening to your podcast every week. Hope you girls end up reviewing classic Poldark. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think there was like a real toxic mix of Francis Lowe's self-esteem and insecurities and also Elizabeth's rimming iron heart and it just fucked that marriage up uh, but I don't think the marriage was doomed. Like, I don't really believe in fate in general. But um, I think, like, they had the essential building blocks to make that relationship work. Because they were once in love, and they made each other happy. And you could see that in the first two episodes. I think if Elizabeth had not faltered so early on in the marriage and started second-guessing her decisions to marry him, Francis still would have been insecure. But I don't feel like he would have spun into like such a deep depression mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and um, it wouldn't have fucked up so epically at least. They yeah. might have still had problems, but like what marriage doesn't. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, simply put, they probably would have been just fine and dandy if Ross hadn't returned and remained in the district, uh, you know, giving her the second option on the table uh, for her to consider you know, I suppose I need to give Charles a teensy bit of credit for seeing the threat Ross posed to his son's happiness and his efforts to get Ross to leave. However, after Ross declined the offer, Charles did absolutely frack all to align himself uh, with his son uh, on, on that regard. You know, he kept uh, bringing up the fact that, you know, maybe Ross will ride over and steal Elizabeth or... You know, when Ross finally, um, when Ross married Demelza, you know, Francis will be glad because now he doesn't have to worry about Ross coming over and taking Elizabeth. You know, he kept doing all of that shit that did nothing but kind of keep that that fire alive uh, within uh, Francis and, uh, you know, obviously did nothing to help. So, you know, even though I'm giving Charles a tiny bit of credit, he still is kind of the, the asshat of the century, at, at least for season one, I think. And, and at least for for this part of the book, we, we may have a new asshat uh, that is uh, awarded 
in Black Moon, but we'll we'll get to that in just a minute. Yeah, to me, uh, I also think that Ross uh, played a major part in um in uh, their marriage uh, failing because uh, from the moment he got back from war, um, we we could see that uh, before he arrived at the at this dinner at Trenwith, uh, Elizabeth was really uh, she looked kind of happy. She was smiling. And uh, she looked uh, good with Francis. And uh, from the moment that uh, Ross came back, all of these, uh, not buried, but these deep feelings came back uh, onto the surface. And so, um, yeah, and Francis uh, saw that instantly, which is why he gave her the opportunity to uh, withdraw from the engagement. And uh, he saw uh, how she behaved around Ross uh, at the social gatherings too, uh, at balls, how she reacted to him, how she was um, again charmed, and so yeah, I think it played a huge part. And again, Charles Poldark too. Uh, the fact that he kept uh, referring to Ross as uh, you know the man of the family, like uh, it's as if he uh, considered Ross the patriarch when uh, when he would be uh, gone, and um, he didn't even consider Francis. So um, yeah, I think it played a huge part, a huge part in the, um, in their marriage being destroyed, and um, also. Francis going uh, to the Red Lion and uh, meeting Margaret, too, I thought it was, um, yeah. Our second question comes from Amanda Poldock. I didn't notice this the first time around, but Demelza's gold bull gown could be an intentional symbol of Demelza's in-between status. She's wearing Georgette satin, and then the waist and bodice line are a weird mix of late 18th century round gowns and the later Regency waistline doesn't look like the other ladies' frocks, but the earth-toned home dresses shaped in silk. She may be the wife of a mine owner, but some people still think she belongs back with the servants. <laughs> yeah, I had to look this up because the, the, the round gown concept really flew over my head. And I found this online. Uh, the round gown was a fitted back gown with the skirt and petticoat sewn as one. It is not an open robe. Round gowns exist throughout the century, but become extremely common from the 1770s through the 1790s, which is where this uh, this time period is set. Uh, right I think smack that's dab in the middle what of it. Elizabeth wears. You'll find her in a lot of round gowns. Mm, okay. Okay. Uh, now you know. I know that the the Regency gowns that uh, Amanda mentions you know, are the ones that we see in most of the, you know, like, Austin television and movie dramas. And we'll have a chance to see those when we get to the Angry Tide. Uh, that will be uh, when we're getting into season four. Uh, and <laughs> Ross's opinion of them is an absolute <laughs> highlight uh, for me uh, in the books. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing the, the Poldark ladies all direct, decked out in them and, and Ross's uh, impressions of them. <laughs> I love when Winston's like, okay, I'm going to give like a two-page description of a dress. <laughs> <laughs> but generally, I kind of hate Regency period fashion because... Empire waistline super unflattering. Like a hundred percent of people look pregnant in those dresses. I'm always like watching them. Like, are they trying to hide a pregnancy? <laughs> 
you know, and I, I wonder, I'm sure that, that women did wear corsets under those things, but you know, if I had to wear one of those things, I would be letting my tummy just rest because, <laughs> because they'd be completely hidden by the, 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 the cut and the line of those dresses. But, uh, anyhow, that would be a good question to ask our friend Amanda, uh, next time. So, uh, Amanda, I know you're out there listening. Uh, feel free to, to drop us an answer to that in the comment box and we'll include that in uh, an upcoming podcast. You're going to become our fashion consultant. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what would Demelza wear? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, next question from KZ. I think uh, they talk about season two. Uh, but anyway, uh, when Ross said that it was an outcome of a devotion on his side that lasted 10 years, I still can't forgive him, though, because he was a married man and he loved his wife. It was not as though Demelza was a terrible wife to him. He stayed with Elizabeth for five hours as well. Bloody hell. I think you're, <laughs> you're angry. I can see that. Yeah. I will watch series one again. I have seen some of the 1977 show. It's good, but a lot of comedy elements at times, especially when McNeil chases Demelza around the bed chamber. In her oh my god. <laughs> what? Oh Ross and Demelza are more intimate and open with each other, though. Robin Ellis is very loud and shouty. <laughs> <laughs> and I would love your take on it. It reminds me of Benny Hill and Carrie on sometimes. Love from Casey. Well, thank you. Oh. God, Benny Hill. Oh, let me die. That sounds like something I will really enjoy hate watching, though. Same. <laughs> I will prepare popcorn and we can snark about it. Oh, yes. And uh, I think we've figured out how we can live snark about the episodes. So, uh, you know, thanks to my, my pal, Fidis uh, Cuso, for giving me a little insight on how we might make that work. So, uh, stay tuned, guys. Uh, we will let you know in a future episode. Uh, Anonymous says, one thing I think Liz uh, would not have kicked Ross out of bed chamber like she did Francis. Uh, who would? He is so hot. Um, friends who have not read the books can't understand the change in him. You know, being at Julie's grave or his thoughts on Demelza's recklessness would have helped. That's for the who would kick him out of bed. I would. Like, I'm raising my hand right now. I'm literally doing it. I don't care how hot you are. If I just had a baby, there is no way anything is going down downtown. Okay? Then we need some rest. No go zone. <laughs> yeah, okay. And we're assuming that Francis made his move on Elizabeth, uh, you know, before he it was medically advisable. Um, you know, and, and what I've heard from friends who have had kids and the research I did for Awaiting Julia was that it's not uncommon for couples to resume their sexual activity anywhere between four and eight weeks after birth, uh, depending on whether or not there were issues around any tearing or episiotomies that, that had to be done, which is making me cross my legs as I oh even God. say those, those things. Um, <laughs> uh, back in the day, most christenings took place about a month after the birth uh, it was you know, that period of time was referred to as the, as her lying in, uh, usually because uh, there were always fears that the mother and child would uh, become ill from uh, the fever that oftentimes followed childbirth because of uh, 
uh, unsanitary hand washing practices and things like that. Yeah. Um, ew. Um, so we can at least assume that there was a month uh, that took place between the, the birth of the child and the christening. So she could have been given the okay for them to resume their intimacies or their, she may have needed some additional time, uh, you know, and it could she could have been completely genuine about her uh, declination of his advances, you know, but then again, you know, it could have been another instance of, you know, her interacting with Ross and compa- uh, comparing Ross with yeah. Francis. So anyhow, I don't I don't expect or, or think that their relationship, she and Francis's relationship was was really all that physically satisfying to begin with. It wasn't. She just had the baby and then basta. Um, So as for his thoughts on Demelza's recklessness, that would just make him look like a huge prick and a hypocrite. Yes. The reason Demelza is, quote, reckless in season two was to feed and provide for her family, (laughs) unlike Ross. And so if Ross complained (laughs) about that any more than he already did, I would likely have come in through the television and slapped him myself mm-hmm. a few more dozen times. Um, I think it's far better to have his actions come from a place of his failings than trying to blame it on Demelza because that's just gross and misogynistic, in my opinion. Like I'm, I'm just a hundred percent done with spouses who cheat, blaming the other person's actions. Like, oh, I cheated because Demelza was reckless. Right. No, you didn't. No, that wasn't the happened. You know, and amen. I mean, I think one of the things I really loved about uh, the adaptation was Demelza's response to Ross in the scene where he tells her uh, his plan to build the cash. You know, she is out in the stables, like raking up hay or, or you know, whatever it was she was raking up, uh, you know, working hard. Uh, for her family, you know, and, and she says, you know, he can do what he wants while she must do as he bids her. You know, yes, the word obey was part of the marriage vows, but damn, son, you're being a complete and total tool. For real days. And I think yes. it also comes down to pride. I mean, was he going mm-hmm. to acknowledge the fact that, you know, his wife was right in, uh, you know, taking responsibility of the household? Hey, you know. So, is it time for a book club time? Yes! Yes! Okay! He's ready. So, again, spoiler warning. We're about to go into the book club section. Yay! So, um, if you're trying to avoid spoilers and you haven't read the books, then we highly encourage you to press stop now. Because, yes, there are only going to be spoilers ahead. So, get out of here and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you. Yes. (laughs) Bye, kids! Now the real fun can start. Woohoo! Book club time! Uh, let's see. We are going over um, Black Moon, book three, chapters four through 13. And this is a wrap up of our uh, exploration through the, the Black Moon. So uh, before we dive in, uh, Rita and Delanda, uh, what were some of your general thoughts about the book? I was having such a good time, and then it got depressing at the end. So depressing, so dark. It started off so beautifully. 
and happy in springtime and then and then that happened exactly it 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 was um the the last few chapters of this book are just incredibly intense mm. even more so the last i would say two chapters or even the last chapter was was really fraught with drama and uh kind of leading us into this holy crap what are we about to get ourselves into um as we move from this book into uh four swans so uh anyhow uh, we hope you guys enjoyed it and we did get a number of responses to our questions so let's go ahead and dive into it the first question was describe the book the black moon in 10 words or less sweet garden nut replied revival rescue destruction and rebirth bpac 67 said relationships beginnings watered renewed and conflict simmering in the background amanda poldark said a tragic romance and swashbuckling adventure blended into one novel okay so next question now that we've reached the end of the book please describe the major themes developed so sweet garden nut said morwen and drake the rescue of dwight Renewing the renewing of a uh, renewal of Ross and Demelza's relationship. Elizabeth and George are perfect for each other. <laughs> they are. <laughs> yeah, they really are. Vfax sixty seven said the beginnings of relationships between Drake and Morwenna, and Drake and Jeffrey Charles. Those relationships being thwarted by uh, George Wallagan due to the simmering conflict between Ross and George. The war in France thwarting. Caroline and Dwight being together, and Ross's attempt to find out what has ha- happened to Dwight and to rescue him, the renewal of Demelza's relationship with her brothers Sam and Drake, and Ross's with Tholly, the marriage of George and Elizabeth, <laughs> the renewal of Ross and Demelza's marriage, the conflict between Aunt Agatha and George, and Reverend Odgers, ew, and Methodists led by Sam Carn. Amanda Poldark mm. said... Ross and Demelza rebuilding a marriage after the after the events of Roligan, Caroline taking action to save Dwight, Elizabeth and George adjusting to married life, Drake and Sam finding their own path in life, and Jeffrey Charles adapting to life with a step-parent, and finally Morwenna struggling to resist a life she doesn't want for herself. That poor girl. Mm-hmm. I just felt really hey. sorry for Moana. Mm-hmm. I felt so much like, um, not hatred, but uh, I was so angry at Elizabeth because she basically lived uh, uh, the same thing in uh, in uh, season one. And the fact that mm-hmm. she's actually uh, witnessing something that she could actually prevent from happening, it makes me mm-hmm. so angry at her character. And um, I really would love to have a conversation with Winston Graham. Like, why would he make her so... Um, insensitive and uh not taking any action because yeah. Morena is her cousin so uh she should at least uh feel some kind of love one would think you know i think i made a, a comment about this um uh either the last podcast or the one before that elizabeth has basically become her mother mm. um and is behaving the same way her mother did towards her uh, in this situation. And I know that we have, uh, some, uh, questions in a little bit that talk a little bit about, uh, which character disappointed you the most. And I think that there are a number of folks 
who made comments about Elizabeth uh, as it relates to the relationship that, that she has with Moena. But it is, it is one of the, the tragic things that, that happens in Black Moon. You know, we see, uh, you know, we see Elizabeth really deferring to George's uh, decision making on everything. We see the way that she winds up uh, taking all of the, the feelings that she has about Ross and Demelza, and Demelza particularly, uh, and uh, having that result in how she reacts to her son's friendship with Drake and the events that unfold from there. Honestly, I think if if Elizabeth didn't have such uh, strong and violent hate, hatred feelings towards Demelza, that she may have stood up for Morwenna a little bit more. But uh, yeah. so, you know, our next question is, you know, who is your favorite character and why? And Sweet Garden Nut says it's always Demelza. BP67 yeah. <laughs> uh, decided to focus on the new characters. Uh, she said Drake. Uh, as he is cheeky, driven by his emotions and has a good heart, followed closely by Morwenna and Thali. And Amanda Poldark said, although Demelza is my overall favorite, Jeffrey Charles is my favorite for the Black Moon. He is so much like Francis, and his friendship with Drake is adorable. Oh, I never thought that he was like Francis. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. So cute. Um, my favorite character is obviously Sam! Yay! Sam! Sam! <laughs> He's, oh my gosh! I, yeah, I, I, I think my him. favorite. Yeah, I think my favorite is Jeffrey Charles. I love the way his character is fleshed out in this book. I love Sam and Jeffrey Charles as well. <laughs> <laughs> Sam, I'm still not on the Sam train. Sam is you still kind of Sam is still kind of annoying me because he's he is at this moment in time uh, really kind of high handed with his brother Drake about you know Drake's affection and love for Moena. You know, he, he is not seeing how Drake can, uh, it, you know, not necessarily abandon, but, uh, you know, be sidetracked by this woman from his uh, love and commitment and adoration for Methodism and Jesus and God and, and the whole nine yards. So what I what I really love is Sam, how much Sam loves his brother. And when um when he was arrested, yes. Sam was like, mm. you know what, as much as he is a Methodist, he is um, Drake's brother first. So yeah. he was like, I'm not going to be bothered with the spiritual stuff right now. I'm going to focus <laughs> on trying to keep him alive. Yeah, And I thought that was like a really humanizing moment for him. So mm-hmm. I like, just love uh, how he fights for what he believes in. And uh, I mm-hmm. get how people might think that he is a little bit too intense. And uh, but who knows? Maybe the actor will make him uh, more likable. He is awfully pretty, <laughs> <laughs> and those eyebrows. Yeah, you, oh. you know, y'all know how shallow I am around the pretty. <laughs> <laughs> Your least favorite character and why? And this one was unanimous and a pretty easy piece of cake question to answer. <laughs> Sweet Garden Nut said it's between George and Ozzy Whitworth, who is deplorable. BPAC 67, Whitworth. 
a repulsive and hideous human being. All roads lead to the kitchen. I'm thoroughly disgusted by George, Elizabeth and Ozine. Amanda Poldark, Osborne, Whitworth. Pure scum that deserves to die. <laughs> die! <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Ozzy needs to die. Like, Yeah, Ozzy, Ozzy Whitworth is probably one of the most repugnant characters I have read in literature. Okay. Uh, next question. Which character has disappointed you the most and why? And Sweet Gardenette says, Elizabeth, her coldness towards Marwenna, towards the arranged marriage, not having more backbone to stand up for Marwenna to George, BPAC 67, Elizabeth's reaction to Jeffrey Har- Charles, and Marwenna's relationship with Drake. I hoped her, dis- despite her dislike of Demelza, she would see beyond that when it came to Drake. I also hoped she would go to bat harder for Marwenna in her attempts to thwart having to marry Oswald, Oswald with George. Furthermore, for Elizabeth not to see Drake as a threat to her relationship with Jeffrey Charles, but as a friend and companion that has brought her son happiness. Amanda Poldark says, George Warleggan. Uh, the first time I read Black Moon, I thought Elizabeth would be able to change him a bit, but nope. She gets worse, or he gets worse, actually. Second time around, same feeling. Um, I, you know, and we taught, touch a little bit about uh, this um, a few minutes ago. But I really thought BPAC picked up on something uh, that uh, I found fascinating uh, when it came to Drake's relationship with Jeffrey Charles and how Elizabeth couldn't see her negative feelings towards that friendship as being a threat to her relationship with her son. I know that is something that that, um, I hadn't even thought of until I saw her comment, but it's very true. You know, Elizabeth is so blinded by her dislike of Demelza that she doesn't even see that this, this threat that is looming in front of her when it comes to her son. I found that to be incredibly interesting. How about you guys? I find Elizabeth's attitude to Jeffrey Charles in general to be quite borderline creepy. Like she's she's so jealous Hi, of yeah. Rowena's relationship and friendship with Jeffrey Charles that it's just unhealthy. Like that's not normal. Mm-hmm. That's just as like that's yeah. his second cousin or something. Like they're friendly and but like any yeah. sort of separation is seen as an intrusion on her life. You know, it's interesting that that harkens back to the the conversation that uh, Elizabeth has with Demelza when she goes to visit Demelza after the birth of Julia and how Elizabeth is saying, you know, a mother's love surpasses all, you know, that, that line. It creeps me out in retrospect. It was like, at first it was so sweet. Yeah, it really does. I mean, it, it, it was sweet at the moment, but you know, now, you know, we see how completely and thoroughly dependent she is on this relationship between, you know, with her son, you know, and, and we see how upset she is at the thought of Jeffrey Charles having to go away to school uh, at the so end of weird. season two. I never understand uh, that scene and people yeah, being like, just... people were honestly reaction, reacting in horror at the suggestion that he goes to school. And I don't, I don't, because mm-hmm. she's upset about it, we're supposed to be upset and I don't right. necessarily 
And that was normal. I mean, that was normal back in those days that, you know, a boy of Jeffrey Charles's age would be sent off to some, some it's not even like school. It still happens uh, today, yeah, Christ. Was, like, it's not, and you know what? Kids yeah. survive. They're not going to fall apart. And he's like 11. He's 11. So, Get over yeah. it. But do we think that if Drake wasn't Demelza's brother, she would have reacted in the, the same way? She wouldn't have been as, it I wouldn't have been so. intense, but I don't think that she would have been welcoming of this relationship she's a huge snob as well yeah the, the mm. class difference would have been would have been something that she would not be all that thrilled about but i think the fact that drake is demelza's brother uh basically makes him completely inappropriate mm. anyhow yeah elizabeth really really disappointed me I don't know if really I would say that I was disappointed because I have such low opinions of Elizabeth. She was just sort of feeding into every <laughs> expectation I have of her. That is that family connections uh. and appearances and the social cachet mm -hmm. of having a well-married cousin. Like I, mm -hmm. I expect very minimal from, from Elizabeth, I'm afraid. <laughs> Mm -hmm. yeah, okay, so uh, what is the storyline that has held your attention? And now that we've come to the end of the story, look into your crystal ball and tell us where you think the storyline will go once we begin The Four Swans. Bipak67 said the storyline focusing on the relationship between Drake and Morwenna, Drake and Jeffrey Charles, and the marriages of Demelza and Ross, and Elizabeth and George. I have read The Four Swans, so I know where the storylines are heading. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All roads lead to the kitchen, said. I am heartbroken for Moana and Drake. Me too. I am hopeful for Dwight and Caroline. I love Ross and Demelza more than ever. I felt melancholic and may have teared up a bit for Agatha. I look forward to finding out what happens with Jeffrey Charles. I fear <laughs> George's wrath. And mm -hmm. Amanda Poldark said, The first time around it was Dwight and friends, but with this reread... I ended up paying more attention to Moana's storyline. I know how the entire series ends, so predictions from me aren't helpful. Yeah, and you know, Delonda, I know you haven't read the the, the books um, and no. the the series, uh, so I would be very interested in hearing where you think the, um, the storylines are, are going to go. Um, and if you hear us giggling, that's yeah, well, you know, I you're right. <laughs> But I think it's, uh, what I think first is that uh, the story of Morwenna is so sad because, um, well, we live at a time where I don't think divorce is possible, especially when it's to be with a guy that is uh, below your station. So um, I have hope for uh, Morwenna and Drake, but I really don't see how they could make this, uh, make this work. So um, mm -hmm. I think that unfortunately she's going to remain um, married to uh, Osborne for at least a couple of years, and then maybe something will happen. Maybe he'll die. Maybe she will kill him. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? She goes Black Widow on him. Um, <laughs> and um, I think that uh, Drake is going to find a way um, to be in touch, well, not with Morwenna, obviously, but um, with Jeffrey Charles. And... Um, I think Dwight and Caroline are going to um, to get married, but not in October, like it was mentioned in the book. Well, it won't be October uh, in the series, because who knows? <laughs> who 
Who yeah, knows? we have no idea where where we are in this damn series. Like July. Yeah, and uh, because yeah, what he lived was a pretty traumatic experience. So I think he will need um much more time to uh, recover from that. And uh, I don't know, maybe it will um it will lead to some uh, trouble uh, with Caroline. Who knows? Hmm. And um, yeah, and uh, I think that uh, oh, obviously George is going to find out that Valentine is not a son. Um, because he was born under a black moon, <laughs> and so <laughs> I think he will dig. Um, he will dig uh, to know more about uh, what uh, Agatha meant. And I just love uh, how even when she was uh, dying, she found a way to um, to create more uh, drama and uh, more trouble in George's life. Like I will haunt you forever. <laughs> I I have to say, and I know that we'll we'll talk a little bit more about the the. The, the the last scene with um with Agatha and George in just a moment, but I I have to say the first time I read Black Moon, I basically like stood up and cheered for <laughs> Agatha uh, in that moment because I was just like, oh my god, this is so awesome! I had the exact opposite reaction. <laughs> I was like, I was like, oh really, bitch? What did you just do? <laughs> like you just. I just like, ruined um, your life. Loki destroy somebody's life as you're dying. Um, <laughs> have you not done enough? I mean, I let 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 me put it this way. I mean, I felt bad because I it knew like that the, the person that was going to wind up being hurt the most was yeah. Valentine. Um, you know, and, and Valentine doesn't have anything to, you know, he he can't help this. But, you know, I I I was so sick of Everything George was doing being turned to his advantage in Black Moon that I was glad that at least in some way, shape or form, the the karma ball, the, the karma wheel was spinning in the direction to kind of slap back at him, um, you know, after, you know, doing what he did to to make this arranged marriage with Morwenna simply because it served his purposes and his political goals, irregardless of what she wanted. Um, you know, the, the, all, all of the things that, that he was doing and turning things to, to work in his advantage. This was the one moment where it was like, eh, not so fast, <laughs> I George. Like, I, I would have been happier. <laughs> not so fast, George. He was the only person that it would have hurt. But I was just like, oh, this is gonna like this yes. is gonna fuck up everybody's life because you know eventually I was like, this is gonna get back to Ross. This is gonna cause more drama. I don't need this in my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so anyhow, I'm 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 excited to to see what see how people react to to you know our next foray into the the books. Uh, as we, as I'm we also really through. excited to see that scene. Christ! Oh my God! Yes, they're gonna turn the clock you know, to like eleven. You know they're gonna slay. Like Elizabeth couldn't even like talk about her pregnancy without thunder and lightning. What is gonna happen when Aunt Agatha dies? <laughs> is the house gonna burn down? <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. Although, hey, here's a thought. Uh, you remember the the sneak yeah. peeks that we got? Um, at the end of the series, and there's that one shot of George looking absolutely, Sitting. yeah. Mm. I mean, he looks like he's been kicked in the nuts. That, His yeah. world just yeah. fell apart. Ross, 
yeah, and we see Ross striding away Ross in the background. I don't want Ross anywhere near him for I, that I, revelation, is, though. Um, yeah, I know. I know. I'm, I'm wondering, I'm really wondering what that scene is, is going to be uh, part of. Mm. I'm, I'm dying to know. So the next mm. question. Okay. Is there anything in the story that has bothered you and why? Sweet Garden Nut said, I felt like the rescue of Dwight was dragged out a bit. Blasphemy. <laughs> Though I did think the actual rescue was suspenseful, <laughs> suspenseful and enjoyed it. BPAC 67. Even though the storyline of Oswald, Oswald, Whitworth and Mawena is uncomfortable and terrible to read, it does raise and bring out into the open an important issue. No one reading exactly. the storyline could come away without being sympathetic to Mawena and angry and repulsed by her treatment at the hands of her husband. Amanda Poldark said, the last two pages of chapter 12, book 3, the first time around it was a punch in the face. The second time it was the same result. I have no idea Winston Graham in the narration would go that far to use the R word the first time around. I thought that was brilliant. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh damn, he I just went there. <laughs> I did too. Yeah, because he makes it very, very clear about what it's happens. So refreshing. In that scene. <laughs> very there's nothing yeah, there's nothing ambiguous about mm. what occurs. There's no room for, well, maybe it was this and maybe it was that and blah 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 blah. It I is what it is. Thank you. And <laughs> But yeah. I don't think I was like particularly bothered by anything that happened in a sense that even when terrible things happen in these novels I'm always gripped by them and like fascinated mm -hmm. there's nothing that happened in the story mm -hmm. that I was like well this is too far yeah I was also bothered by the um, Morwenna Whitworth thing going on because like I told you guys I've developed a uh, trigger in regards to you know rape and um and uh, physical abuse, so yeah, I really felt uncomfortable and uh, sick after uh, finishing mm -hmm. that chapter. Like, I, I needed a break before continuing mm -hmm. uh, my reading. And so yeah, I was bothered by this, and I was also bothered by, um, again, Elizabeth and her um, non-taking action in regards to her cousin. Uh, fill in the blank below. Uh, Dear Debbie, I will be your biggest fan always if you include blank in season three. Sweet Gardenette said, a beautiful scene in the book uh, is Ross returning with Dwight and seeing Jeremy and Demelza and his thoughts of how lucky he is. BPAC67 says, um, you know, including Caroline's first conversation with Dwight uh, on his return from France. Uh, Anonymous says she would love for Debbie to include what Demelza says when she tells Ross she is with child again. Uh, another anonymous, uh, Demelza saying that Caroline is half in love with Ross and his response. Also, Sultan, Sultan's harem uh, would be a must, even in his thoughts. Uh, Amanda Poldark said, Drunk Judd or some other villager heckling <laughs> Cloence's christening. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome. Um, it's a great bit of humor and is my favorite scene from this part of the 1975 series because it's ridiculous. Also more of Ross being a good dad. Yeah, and just quickly, uh, towards the end of the book, uh, when um, it says that Ross is uh, with Demelza and he has Cloence on his knees and... Um, mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, and Jeremy as well, like uh, 
that's Pretty like my favorite scene in like maybe mm-hmm. the entire series. Yeah, like Ross spending time mm. with his yeah. family, not doing anything dumb, actually happy. <laughs> it's like yes, a moment, a moment of of contentment. Thank you, Jesus. Okay. Okay. Spoiler question number one. Yay. So now that you know the fate of Morwenna, what are your thoughts regarding George and Elizabeth Warlegan? Amanda Poldark said, if you think about it, George setting Morwenna up with a husband of means is very Mm -hmm. Huston-esque. In normal circumstances, a girl like Morwenna should be glad that a rich relative took an interest in her well-being. With no money, she couldn't marry someone in her own class. Unfortunately, the black woman is not following tradition. And it turns out that George, in typical unfeeling douche, <laughs> douche fashion, douche that that is his new name, okay, George Douche That's awesome. George, in typical unfeeling douche fashion, sells her up the river to a god awful husband. Drake could have been a fine husband for Moana if they weren't so petty about Ross living so close to them. But they revealed their long, poorly disguised classes contempt for Demelza and her family when they banned Drake from seeing Morwenna, Elizabeth proves herself to be completely spineless in standing up to George from treating Ross or Jeffrey Charles too harshly. Although that's to be expected because she was born to be a trophy wife, using today's terminology. George wasn't thinking of what Morwenna wanted when Whitworth came to talk to him. He was thinking about political connections and money. Both Warlegans don't value love or romance, and their involvement in giving Morwenna to a reverend rapist proves it. <laughs> however, <laughs> however, for all of my rage against them, the Warlegans can be blamed for Whitworth committing marital rape. Whitworth covered up, covered up his freaky double wife and lied to everyone all day, every day. It was up to Whitworth to treat Morwenna with respect, and he clearly failed to oh, do word. so. Yes, I, I am I am flicking my bick in complete support of that entire response. Mm-hmm. So Anda, Amanda Poldark, You're, you go girl. 100% right. <laughs> you go girl. Spoiler question two. Aunt Agatha's confrontation with George Willoggin has planted a poisonous seed in his head. What do you think he will do and to whom? Amanda Poldark said, I know how the whole series ends, but I'm going to say that new readers should watch in the force force ones for signs of mistrust of Elizabeth and treating Valentine badly. Yeah. Delonda, how about you, since you haven't read the, um, the book yet? Maybe he will throw some uh, subtle hints uh, at Elizabeth, but I'm not sure. Um, mm. Yeah, I think he will probably uh, go to Elizabeth first. He's not going to be like, go to Ross like, did you bang my wife? <laughs> <laughs> Who's ever that direct in court? <laughs> I mean, they, they, they don't talk, so, you know, you know that they're not going to be direct. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say, I will say this about uh, the, the start of Four Swans. We get right back into the action. There is no shilly shall. I like around. the start so, of Four Swans, so I'm looking buckle, forward to it. I do too. Um, so buckle your seatbelts, guys. It's it's going to be, it's going to be a good and one. And it's time to start the Four Swans for next week's book club. So we're going to go with book one chapters one to six and unfortunately we've come to the end of the podcast or i should say fortunately because i think we've been recording for almost two hours and lord knows there's going to be some editing that takes place uh but uh anyhow um uh, you know as you can tell we could probably talk about this all day long but um as always we'd like to thank everyone who got in touch with us with messages 
and for those individuals who participated in the book club. Uh, if you would like to get in contact with us, you can always submit your questions and comments at the ask box in our Tumblr blog, which is poldarkpodcast.tumblr.com or on Twitter where we are at poldarkpodcast. Also, we do have the Poldark Podcast Spotify that is up and running, and so we'll have a link to that on our blog as well in case you guys uh, want to check that out. And we will see you here next time where we will talk about episode 1.07 from uh, series one and Woo! the first one. Have a good Yay! week, you guys. Bye, -bye. Bye guys. Bye. I get no.